Hi, and welcome to Unmatched, a match cut podcast where we talk about a singular movie. My name is Aaron. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Matt. Hello. Hello. Before we get started, if you've got a suggestion for an episode or want to get a hold of us, you can find us at MatchCut on Twitter or at MatchCutPod at gmail.com. Today, we are talking about Tenet, an action thriller heist movie written and directed by Christopher Nolan, starring John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, and Kenneth Branagh. Branagh? Branagh? Branagh. Yeah, all right. Uh, Writer-director for Christopher Nolan is best known for his other mind-bender movies like Memento, Inception, The Prestige, and Interstellar. Would you like to give us the rundown on this movie, Matt? In a twilight world of international espionage, an un- unnamed CIA operative known as The Protagonist is recruited by a mysterious organization not known by anything but using the sign Tenant and interlinked hands to participate in a global assignment that unfolds beyond real time. The mission, per, to, the mission prevent Andrei Sador, a renegade Russian oligarch with seemingly precognitive abilities, from starting World War III. Obviously, we are going to get into huge spoilers for the rest of this. So now is your one chance to duck out, go watch the movie, and come back if you haven't already and somehow still want to listen to this. Uh, it's a good movie. Go watch it. <laughs> Yeah, watch this movie, listen to this, watch it again, <laughs> listen to this again, watch watch the movie in like 1.5 speed. <laughs> uh, Tenet's, <laughs> Tenet's currently a 7.5 on IMDb, so that puts it in the company of movies like The Lighthouse, Ready Player One, Star Wars Episode Three, and The Town. Two of those movies are garbage. <laughs> I'll leave you to figure out which two. So let's talk about this movie. First, I feel like we should give a little rundown of like the plot as we interpreted it, just in case there's people listening who are still confused, which is, I think, reasonable because I'm still confused (laughs) after watching it twice. I mean, if you want to go through that rundown, go ahead. I'll interject if I have a difference of opinion. So basically, I feel like we should talk about everything from the protagonist's like main timeline in the order of the movie as he experiences it. Yeah, I think that's the way that you should view this film. And I, I'm, I'm going to say that like I believe that thinking about and worrying about the time travel beyond that, just don't. <laughs> right. So we'll start with the spoilers now. Last chance to get out. But uh, basically, the protagonist is on a CIA raid um, on an opera house where some part of the algorithm is being moved. Uh, he interfaces with Neil's character uh, with the backwards bullet, and that's kind of his introduction into this world of Tenet, where after that, he fakes his death, gets pulled out by this mysterious not organization and then meets Neil. Neil is not meeting the protagonist for the first time. He's come back through at some point through time to, for the protagonist's first introduction to Neil. (laughs) You're already making it more confusing than it needs to be. (laughs) He meets Neil as a contact in Mumbai because he needs to talk to an arms dealer whose bullets are linked, interlinked. Uh, mm-hmm. With the conspiracy going on, the bullets 
are being used to, and being turned into reverse entropy mechanisms. Yeah. Sometime in the future, they have the ability to basically move stuff backwards through time. So we're experiencing it currently. Yes. And from there, he does a whole bunch of really cool heists. Yeah. And then it's, then it's a series of heists at kind of, and then sort of in the middle, you have this, you have like the first flip, you have the first turnstile, and then it, then it just gets even more confusing. But basically he moves backwards, pulling counter heists against his forward heists and eventually end up at an explosion that's already happened. Yeah. <laughs> and save, saves the world before he even gets his mission to save the world. The end. <laughs> Which he gives himself because he's the guy that apparently set this all up. Yeah. To spoil the end of the movie. Again, I think you're overthinking it. Um, he's not doing reverse heists against himself. The only time that occurs is in the when he's stealing uh, another piece of the algorithm, which the algorithm, uh, when he is introduced to it, is uh, he thought it was fissile material. And mm -hmm. he was on a CIA op to recover this fissile material. Uh, when he yeah. first sees it, he's like, I've never seen an, a configuration like this before. This is what, what the heck is that? Yeah. Uh, and that kind of starts it. And when it's all put together, it looks like a crankshaft. <laughs> yeah. A crankshaft to turn time. I mean, maybe that's the, the visual shorthand he's going for. Um, honestly, I think overthinking this film is a way to make it not make sense to you. In general, you as the royal you people watching it. Because mm -hmm. I was definitely having the same problems when I first saw it, as mentioned in previous episodes, I saw this in theaters in the brief glorious window that theaters were reopened before being closed in my state. Uh, right. I also saw it in IMAX because I'm like, <laughs> I gotta take this one chance, this one chance <laughs> yeah. to see this movie in the Nolan intended vision of it. Yeah. And then, and then when we watched it, <laughs> it just started changing aspect ratios intermittently. Yeah, yeah. interlinked. Yeah. I'm, I'm mostly explaining it mainly for the benefit of my stepdad who asked me to explain it. <laughs> so I'll, I'll talk with him one-on-one -on -one later, but he wants to- I would to basically say don't, don't worry about the events happening in forward or reverse order in pertains of how they did it. Just worry about, oh- he's eventually going to reverse himself and <laughs> yeah. that's it. That's all you need to worry about. Whenever, whenever something happens on screen, the protagonist is behind it, whether he knows it or not. I mean, that's basically the, 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 the end result of this movie <laughs> is yes. He turns out he was playing 4d chess, literally mm -hmm. against himself. <laughs> This uh, movie, I think he came, I think Christopher Nolan came up with this idea after consulting and writing and getting to know Kip Torn on the creation of Interstellar. Mm -hmm. When Interstellar helped with the new visualization of the time dilation that occurs around black holes, Nolan was like, oh, what if the, what if, you know, time dilation was harnessed? Like, honestly, in a way, Tenant is 
I could see it taking place in the same universe or a, a similar timeline as Interstellar did. Right. I haven't seen Interstellar to the surprise of nobody, but oh I'll take God, your word for it. <laughs> I know. But I mean, that's, that's the podcast. We have the expert opinion and the, and the novice. You got to, you know, attack it from both angles, interlinked, interlinked. back and forth. And, and the statement tenant. <laughs> yeah. A statement and a gesture. I was look I was looking through the IMDb like trivia stuff and mm-hmm. that was where I first came across this like concept of the Seder square which if you're unfamiliar is uh basically a square assembled out of uh five letter words in Latin where throughout the entire square it reads forward to backwards and those are the words that you see in this movie Seder, Arepo, Tenet, Opera and Rotas um so kind of a cool inspiration, but I think the most interesting thing for me and something that we talked about uh, when we watched it together was uh, this movie in its entirety has about as many visual effects shots as like a romantic comedy. Like so much of it is practical. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, like did you, had you not realized that when the, the, the jet was crashing that that was all practical? Definitely the first time I watched it through, I was I was more absorbed in the spectacle and not like looking at it analytically. But the second time through, it was just like those cars look like they're getting dragged. <laughs> you know, this isn't it's not computer rendered like physics or anything. It doesn't have that animated or calculated quality to it. It's also not a composite shot of, you know, OK, here's a miniature that we're pulling and we're, we're simulating pulling these real cars by the it, no he crashed a 737 <laughs> into a goddamn building yeah and basically the reason he was able to do it was because i'm christopher nolan <laughs> yeah the trivia was saying like they were looking through and like came across basically this graveyard of planes and they're just like you know we could probably just do this for real <laughs> and like the studio didn't like really balk on it at, other than like okay, we might have to increase liability for this. It's like, no, I am Christopher Nolan and I will crash this plane into a building we build. Yeah. So also a lot of the, uh, like the non impossible shots of reverse stuff, like, you know, obviously you can't in real life make an explosion go backwards, but like the hallway fights were shot in one direction going forward and then also shot with the actors quote unquote moving backwards. Well, they were moving backwards, but also to make it look like they were, you get it. But so they did everything in a forward and reverse and they weren't just reversing the film. Right. For stuff like dropping the bullet, like the real, like physics defying stuff. Obviously those are special effects shots. Yeah. But, uh, like the hallway fight specifically when uh, the protagonist and the protagonist protagonist fights himself. Yeah. The nothing we see is a reversed is reversed footage. They fought it both, both ways. Okay. Cause I was thinking they just reversed it, but no, he Nolan went the extra mile and (laughs) no, no, no shortcuts here. Exactly. I think, I mean, some of the, some of the stuff has to be reversed. Like the, you know, the gunshots and bullets going into people. Yeah. Yeah. 
You mean, I think Christopher Nolan is truly working his way up to just murdering an actor and being like, look at this art. <laughs> yeah. Here's my snuff film. It's art. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> and it'll just be really convoluted and you won't know if this person lived or died, but they'll like, they'll be, have been literally an obituary for them and all that. And like, yeah, they, they are dead. <laughs> it's just a matter of time before like cube becomes a reality and rich people just drop actors into trapped rooms for fun. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I was, I re-experienced cube last night as a reaction video of someone watching it, but that's why it's on my mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not a good movie. I, th- I think it's good. It's we okay. Sh- we should talk about it sometime. <laughs> I don't want to get too off topic in a, in a single movie discussion, but watch cube. Tell us what the acting is. So, so, but the movie as a whole, speaking of acting, speaking of acting, I love Robert Pattinson. I also love, uh, John David Washington. They were great. Um, I mentioned to you when we were watching that, that it's really refreshing that while John David Washington is a traditionally attractive man, mm-hmm. uh, for a black man in Hollywood, it feels like he wasn't fitting a hundred percent of the mold of what they, what is pushed as the norm. Because generally yeah. speaking, you know, a black actor, a black lead actor will have a very commanding, quote unquote, voice. I mean, mm-hmm. you can look at his father, Denzel Washington, and kind of fits that mold. Whereas John David has a little bit of a softer voice. Yeah. And I think that that's just, it felt, uh, partially because of that, it felt a little more real. Mm-hmm. The, and the other thing is they didn't like try to hide that he's a little bit on the shorter side for a leading man type. It's not like Tom Cruise where it's like, oh, yeah, he's obviously roughly my height of six feet. It's like, no, Tom Cruise is a short man. Is Tom, Tom Cruise is shorter than John David Washington, I think? Yeah, he's two inches shorter. He's 5'7". But they don't put John David Washington up on an apple crate for like dialogue <laughs> scenes or anything. No, and I... I brought up a thing that I thought maybe Christopher Nolan was doing with this, the blocking and the cinematography of a shot reverse shot that he was specifically putting Elizabeth Debicki's character higher than him in the framing to show the imbalance of power that existed between the two. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. did you, do you, did you read it that way or just, I I thought that they shot it both from eye level and just like the difference exists naturally because Elizabeth Becky is uh, just naturally five inches taller than an Amazon. Than him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was it was definitely there, and typically, like you would shoot from a you would shoot from like an artificially low angle. You're right to to display an imbalance of power. But I think they were almost like shooting from, I think, Elizabeth's eye level the whole time. Mm-hmm. Something I, I got to watch this a third time. Like we've already, t- I'm already just like ready to go back to it. But <laughs> in reverse this time though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch it backwards. I, wa- I wonder what that experience is like. Well, I mean, I- aside from not being able to understand anything. <laughs> You know, it's like the the Memento uh, DVD has the secret to watch it in chronological order, all in, you know, the as it happens. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
he probably has a cutout there and it's going to be on some special version that's going to be, you know, there's no reverse scenes. Everything is, you know, forward. And it's like, oh, now it all makes sense to me. Right. Um, something that I brought up numerous times <laughs> was, man, does everything look gorgeous in here? And so much of this movie is just a GQ cover shoot. Yeah, it is a it's a very stylish movie, you know, and you've got like the traditional menswear style and then the stylish tactical gear. Oh, yeah. The tactical the tactical gear was on point this season. Lots of <laughs> lots of blousing and different variations of color and use of color in tactical garmentry. Right. <laughs> you know, it can say you can fit in while also saying something about yourself. Yeah, just because it's tactical doesn't need, mean it always needs to be practical. <laughs> you know, accessorize with a little red string uh, trinket here and there. <laughs> that is vitally important to paying attention and realizing things about the movie. Right. Um, no, I, I think this movie kind of in my mind, because I hadn't really watched The Lighthouse. Um, mm-hmm. I, I saw most of it. But, like, due to the usage of uh, anachronistic to our ears English, like, it's hard for me to see some of uh, his Robert Pattinson's dialogue acting. But in this movie, I'm like, I want to see Robert Pattinson in multiple things now. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it makes me look forward to his The Batman. Mm-hmm. And it's disappointing that he will not be the Batman in the Justice League because Warner Brothers keeps stumbling (laughs) over itself to try to make a cinematic universe. But hey, good for Michael Keaton being Batman again. Right. Yeah, there's. I'm sure you've seen the speculation about Batman Beyond existing. (sighs) Like, don't do that to me. Don't give me hope. Mm -hmm. But like, if they make it, they better not screw it up. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's cool to see Robert Pattinson escape Twilight and it's like, oh no, like he's actually a good actor. I mean, he literally went on kind of like a tear after Twilight finished of just like strange indie art house films, not like indie indie, but like direct Mm -hmm. auteur directors doing like these one location films and whatnot and it was just like, no, I got to prove to the world I am not this pretty boy Edward Cullen. Both myself and Kristen Stewart hated the movies. <laughs> yeah. I have to escape it. And Kristen Stewart's getting a second whack at things, but yeah. I think this is the first movie I've really like seen Robert Pattinson not playing. Edward Cullen? Edward Cullen, yeah. I was going to say Jacob, but that's the other handsome man in that series. Taylor Lautner, who actually has no acting talent. <laughs> Hot Shame. take from the Shame the, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh you know, something that's kind of a Nolan norm is that the action is shot in a way that you are able to see what's going on. And because the like this the first quarter of this movie is just like action set piece, action set piece, action set piece. Like other movies would maybe have one of these action set pieces. <laughs> yeah. You and Nolan's it's a like, movie you get one heist. Yeah, Nolan's like, I'm a style on all of them and do every action set piece in the first quarter of this film. Yeah. And then we're going to do every action set piece in reverse for the rest of it. 
Yeah, and like, you know, oh, he doesn't just do a highway heist scene. He does a highway heist scene that's nested in a reverse highway chase scene that's, (laughs) you know, both sides playing each other kind of shit going on. Yeah. So there's there's kind of like these two aspects of this movie. Like, first, there's just like the heist movie, which is great, and the action is fantastic, and I think it pays off big that so much of it is practical. And then kind of the second part is in Kenneth Branagh's man, uh, monologue at the end of this, where he's going over his reasons for, you know, the opposite force of the non-tenant organization to exist, which is, you know, we fucked the world and now we have to mo- move time backwards to, to reclaim a, a beautiful world that once existed yeah i I don't get like is there an actual end goal or they just is like the future entropy force i'm just calling this should just be called entropy the organization should have just been called entropy to make it simple Um, yeah but it's not a catchy palindrome so i mean it is a catchy name like (laughs) we work for entropy like that's that's big you know nolan bass hits yeah Um, they can be race car if you want (laughs) (laughs) anyway um the the future people uh, such as they are like is their goal actually just to cause time to flow in reverse so that they eventually get you know clean water and rivers and the environment back or is it just revengeance against the past like screw you guys (laughs) Yeah, I I mean that's that's the way I read it from uh, the ending villain monologue. Is that like you know their oceans, their rivers dried up and their oceans rose, and now you know now we're turning the clock backwards so that their descendants in the other direction can have a better life, like, uh, <laughs> um, and I- basically like Seder is doing all of this because he has cancer and his time is up and you know nothing is tomorrow wasn't promised today or however it goes like he doesn't have a future so he's trying to give a future to other who knows no he's not i I don't he specifically is like but your child will die it's like yeah it was one of the worst things i did bringing a child into this world that's gonna die so you know damn me for that it's not it's not his future or his progeny's future it's it's the people who would live in entropy going the other direction i guess i don't know man i don't think it matters and i don't even think that the movie believes that matters because it doesn't bring that up until literally the last 15 minutes of the movie yeah the the principles of it all are kind of an afterthought and like i don't really think that matters because like that is not they didn't make it the point of this movie, so it's not what you would look to this movie for. You look for it for cool backwards fighting. and I, I definitely feel that to a degree, this is Christopher Nolan just being like, I'm going to make an action movie that I want to see and not care about justifications. Mm-hmm. And I'll create a story that is like intriguing, but seems smarter than it actually is, and I don't care that it actually is. <laughs> yeah like that's how yeah. i kind of read it because because of the breakneck pace of the first 
quarter of this film, the heist and all that. And you don't really slow down and learn anything until you meet Kenneth Branagh's character. You know, the, the whole scene where uh, the protagonist goes to the whatever university that is and talks to the doctor, that's literally just for the benefit of the audience. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't feel like it's setting up like, oh, this will come back in the third act and all that, even though it, te- it does, you know, yeah. very, very briefly like, oh, you know, here's this warehouse full of all this reverse entropy uh, and reverse uh, temporal I- I- objects. It's like, what are we seeing here? Oh, the remnants of a war that has yet to happen yet. And then mm-hmm. I said to you specifically, I wish that Nolan had, you know, taken a moment and let the shot breathe so you can see the the vastness of the things that they're collecting and see the magnitude mm-hmm. of this coldest cold war they're fighting. Yeah. And you kind of get it in, you also get like a, a question asked in, Neil's character who ultimately ends up sacrificing himself, like takes a bullet to the face. Yeah. Um, is what is he defending the protagonist? Cause yes, he's he also- literally, he's standing in there to stop the protagonist from getting shot at, instead of him. Right. Yeah. When, okay. When they first I was- come there, his body is already on the other side of the door and they can't get it open. And they need yeah. to be on the other side of that door to stop the algorithm, the crankshaft, from being destroyed? <laughs> Set off, activated. Something. Uh, yeah. uh, at least it wasn't a blue light into space. Thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a crankshaft into a hole. Um, which is better. But yeah, my, my confusion was like, which what was the direction of causality, but yeah, he does sacrifice himself and he is reversed. Yes. Because after he takes the bullet to the head, he, he is then sacrifices. He is then on the other side of the door waiting to go back through it to open it for them. And he's, you see, you last see him running in reverse or mm-hmm. reverse running up the tunnel. Yeah. As he goes back to unlock the door that anyway. No, no, no. <laughs> he has already unlocked the door by the mere fact that he is already on the other side of it. Right. Yeah. Overthinking he go, he, it. He's reversed. Uh, no, I we're on the same page. I'm just using different words. So. Okay. Um I mean, technically he's locking it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't I don't think that like there isn't enough time spent on like the questions of going backwards and forwards and like what that means for fate and causality and like where does where does the human experience fit in all of this? And we don't like see I think enough of the future entropy people to like really understand their motivations or or like how Seder would be convinced into destroying the world just because oh, I'm going to die anyways. So I, that's not the purpose of the movie. I think it's, it's like, what if we had sick heists and there was a time mechanic, right? It, it, to a degree, it's kind of like inception. What if we did this thing where cool visuals happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I want to have an, I want to build the largest gimbal in the world to completely rotate this hallway for Joseph Gordon. Levitt to have a fight. in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And hey, 
I'm here for it. Like, uh, you know, I don't think either of us are saying this is a bad thing or that this movie shouldn't be made. No, I think it's more just to like understand what it is, what it's doing, why it's here. I think that any more Christopher Nolan tells relatively straightforward stories. Let me finish. (laughs) Sure, sure. In a way that seems more convoluted than they are. Mm hmm. But this this has a this has a special level of convolution, I think. Like, I I've got a pretty good grasp on it after two watches. But as I've said a million times, I'll, I'll watch it again. Like, yeah, I definitely I definitely agree that having this second watch helped clear things up for me. And because I wasn't as you know just being blown away by the sounds and the gunshots and all that, because I saw it in IMAX. Screw you, peasants. Um, yeah. I will say I will recommend on a home video watch a home a home watch of this. If you got access to like a good sound system, use it on the good TV. Mm-hmm. Because like this movie in like the largest format you got with like the best surround sound you got will be a better experience immersive wise. Yeah. Definitely. Was the was the Opera House siege? Was that actually reverse entropy agents and <laughs> and protagonist agents? I'm not sure who was because I mean, or is it wholly unrelated? Because that capsule he takes, like, it is kill? a part of the yeah. It, like, did he set that up? So questions this movie <laughs> sequel give us tenant two uh, thanks for everything <laughs> tenant two a man a plan a canal panama <laughs> tenant two deja vu two tenant two it's got to be the same in reverse mm, two tenant two you're right xx underscore sephiroth tenant xx no <laughs> <laughs> Lowercase x, uppercase x, lowercase x, underscore, underscore, <laughs> tenant, underscore, underscore, lowercase x, uppercase x, lowercase x. With Vin Diesel, triple x, tenant. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, 7.5 on the, on the, in the company of Lighthouse, Ready Player One. Well, leave out episode three of star Wars in the town. Do you like, do you think, do you think a 7.5 is what it deserves? Oh, you misunderstood. The town is the better film. Ready player one is a piece of garbage. (laughs) Oh, I, I knew which two you were talking about, but ready player one is also in that thing of like, eh, ignore the stories, watch it for the visuals, watch for that sick Gundam at the end. (laughs) Member Gundam. <laughs> oh, I remember. Um, Ready, Ready Player One, I think, is an excellent like counterpoint to this movie in terms of like that movie's all CGI, no, no practical, <laughs> nothing practical in that movie. You know, I, spectacle show with a so-so story. I think that this is probably rated at a seven point five simply because people are like angry at Christopher Nolan, not answering questions in his movies. Mm -hmm. There there is a definite uh, dislike in the general populace of open-ended statements. Yeah. 
people want a finality. They want when the movie to be over, all their questions to be answered. And <laughs> it is cutting away from the top at the end of Inception. But again, to my point, I think Inception is a fairly simple movie to understand. And mm-hmm. the, the key about the top and cutting away from it is at the end of it, should it matter to you anymore? Cobb, yeah. it doesn't matter to Cobb anymore. Why does it matter to you anymore? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I've said before on this podcast, like, I like movies that that leave you off, like, that will end, but you'll want to spend more time in your head in that world. And I think, especially in this one, like, I would also love to see a sequel for it. Yeah, even if or it's not, would it be a prequel? Who knows? <laughs> it would be both simultaneously. Yeah, a pre-sequel. I'll allow it. Borderlands um, did it, you know. Borderlands did it and had Australians in it, and they're upside down, so that works with you know backwards, <laughs> reverse stuff. Yeah, the toilets spin in the different direction in Australia. <laughs> Up is down, down is west. Who knows? Yeah. Um. I, I agree with you that this movie, uh, more so than Inception, is you have to think about it a little bit more. But it's not like a Michael Mann level of like thinking man's action film, in a sense, mm-hmm. uh, as the old moniker goes. It's not like, oh, these are serious people and they have a serious dedication to doing the action well, which they do in this movie. You know, like yeah. the the soldiers all all behave like soldiers and and whatnot, and like the gunfights have nice uh, good clarity to them. Uh, I did mention to you in our watch that you know <laughs> Paul Greengrass movies. This is not. <laughs> yeah, you know you you can clearly see what is occurring on screen. Right, you Those- don't have the insufferable shaky cam. You know what the inside of a dryer looks like? Let's have a camera in that filming all our action. Oh, you mean like on top of the dryer, a little bit of back and forth? No, 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 no. In the dryer. In the dryer, spinning and spinning. <laughs> You've seen those GoPros that get dropped from a, a skydive? That. <laughs> but without the GoPro inherent stabilization. <laughs> uh, you know, Paul Greengrass is making a uh, 1984 movie. As in, not a movie set in 1984, but 1984, the George Orwell story. Yes. Uh, It'll be probably literally unwatchable because, like, there's no action in that movie, so he's going to be adding fights. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, no. (laughs) No. Yeah, I agree with you that Tenet is most likely to 7.5 due to some frustration. Because um, if you look at it from a technical aspect, it is, you know, one of the most technically well put together action films of a generation. Um, if you look at it from a cinematography aspect, the shots are gorgeous. The composition, the colors are vibrant. And it's like, it's a movie ass movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe you can, you can find some fault in John David Washington but again, I felt it was refreshing uh, the way his action, his acting is very much not the typical Hollywood action star acting. There was a, some level of vulnerability to it and like some level of 
I guess, sarcasm to it and like comedy that isn't like slapstick, you know, like buddy comedy. Yeah. It's like he knows he's the protagonist to a degree. <laughs> right. He uh, apparently improvised the I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago line. I mean, it's a good line and followed by a good fight that is just like brutal and uncompromising and just like it sets him up as this force of nature, like these heavy guys that were about to, you know, destroy his hand and beat him up and show a bloody corpse <laughs> to, you know, the, the, the Elizabeth Debicki's character. And he walks out with a confidence and like, like his head held high. And it's just like, it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I want to see Robert Pattinson and John David Washington together again as Neil and the protagonist. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. Finished my point. I think 7.5, probably about, about where it would end up. I mean, for being a eh, 7.8, I'm feeling generous. I'm, I'm making it rain tenths of points over here. <laughs> uh, 7.8. Anymore. Uh, I'm again, I'm against uh decimal or halving or like grades of things. It's an eight mm-hmm. to me. Because the technical prowess displayed, whether or not you agree with the story, which is why it's not a, a 10 out of 10 uh, for me, a 10 out of tenant yeah. <laughs> um, for me is because the story is more convoluted than it needs to be. And some of the pacing of it explaining the story takes away or is like detracting from it in a, in a sense. So I yeah. would say it's an eight because it's better than Ready Player One in Star Wars Episode Three. Screw mm. you, prequel memers. Those movies are bad, and you should feel bad. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's about wraps it up for our uh, our views on Tenet and several other movies. Also. So yeah. Uh, we have no idea what we're doing, just like in general. Um, so <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> baby, there ain't no rules. Storm the Capitol. <laughs> we're all flying by the seat of our pants over here. So I can't tell you what the next movies will be. Will I announce them on Twitter? I don't know. You know, <laughs> who knows what tomorrow brings. <laughs> yeah, you can follow us on Twitter if you want. Will I make a post? You know, maybe I already have, and it's just moving backwards. I don't know. Maybe I'll go on there and incite violence. Everything that ever has happened or ever will happen has already happened and will happen again, baby. (laughs) Because time is a flat circle. (laughs) So join us next time or last time uh, for the match cut. I've been Aaron. And I have been Matt. (laughs) And we'll see you at another point on this flat circle of time. (laughs) Bye-bye. Off topic, but there's a, uh, there's a podcast I started listening to, um, called a, a, a more enlightened age, which is a, a, a like kind of critical rewatch of the, uh, the clone Wars series. Mm-hmm.
And basically their consensus on the prequels is like, yo, these are bad movies. And, you know, Anakin and Padme's relationship is extremely weird and problematic and off. But like the questions it raises about like government and authoritarianism and, and tyrannies are good. And that's what gets like explored in the Clone Wars, like animated series. And well, let's watch that instead. <laughs> and, and that's fair. And uh, just to continue on this tangent, that's that's fair and that's fine. You can say that The Clone Wars is a good show, but that does mm. not make the movies better because The Clone Wars does all that heavy lifting of turning garbage into gold. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And- like the, the, the movies could have been good if they were shot completely differently. <laughs> The movies could have been good if uh, only they weren't the movies. Yeah, if only they weren't what they were, they could have been good. And George Lucas gets no credit, and may God have mercy on his soul for making them, just because he was the the creative drive behind you know some of the Clone Wars show, and because he created Star Wars, doesn't mean he knows how to tell a good story. <laughs> Clone Wars, Rebels, and Resistance is all Dave Filoni, baby. <laughs> yeah. The savior, the chosen one, the real chosen one. Well, him and John Favreau. Right. There is another. <laughs> <laughs>